Welcome to the Caregiver's Toolbox, tools for everyday caregiving. We provide education and information on senior care topics. Here's your host, Ryan McGinnis. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Caregiver's Toolbox, Tools for Everyday Caregiving. My name is Ryan McInniff, and I'm very excited to have a guest on the podcast, uh, Miss Pat Kelleher. She's the Executive Director of the Home Care Alliance of Massachusetts, um, a, uh, an association that represents uh, many different home care companies in the Massachusetts area. Generally, New England uh, has, each state has their own home care alliance, as well as some other associations. But Pat is um, the uh, director executive director of the Massachusetts one. Pat, how are you today? I'm great, Ryan. Thanks for having me. You, you are easily our number one celebrity we've had on this podcast. So um, welcome. I'm um, on it. We, we are moving up in the world. We, we, you know, we started with just Janet and I talking, and now we have the executive director. So we're excited about it. It's going <laughs> to be fun. So um, one of the things in our podcast that we've always done, just to give you a little background, we've always tried to be educational for people, explaining how the uh, the, the, the the inner workings of our industry uh, moves things forward, how we operate, how we work. Um, and we've brought up the Home Care Alliance of Massachusetts many times. We've never really um, deep dived into it. So having you on is great. Um, in your opinion and in how you, in your words, would you mind explaining kind of what the Home Care Alliance is for people coming right from the executive director so they understand what purpose you provide um, with home care in Massachusetts? Thank you, Ryan, for this opportunity to talk about the Home Care Alliance of Massachusetts. Uh, this year, we'll celebrate our 50th anniversary of promoting home care as integral to the health care and elder care delivery systems. And our work has primarily two audiences. Obviously, our member home care agencies, which number over 150, and we are here to help them be the best that they can be in providing this essential service. And increasingly, our other audience is the consumers of home care services, them and their families, because we feel the need to clarify with them what home care is and what they should expect when they work with a home care agency. Absolutely. And that's something that we started the podcast for because education is so important in getting people ready for um, what a lot of people aren't expecting they're going to need. Yeah, I think home care, you know, I've been at the Home Care Alliance um, quite a bit now, more than 10 years, and I really feel, you know, home care is a relatively new industry um, in the way that agencies like yours provide it, Ryan, but it's also an industry whose time has really come, you know, because of demographics, because of the interest of people in aging in place, the fact that we don't just turn to hospitals and nursing homes for elder care. I mean, home care is really a service whose time has come, and it's important that um, elders and their families understand where and how to find good home care. Absolutely. And it's so important because there are there, you know, and this is something we can talk about in brief, but there is not a whole lot of regulation when it comes to home care. We talked about this in previous episodes, especially with the Boston Globe article that came out. Um, And it is difficult when you don't, you know, it's like it's like uh, uh, deciding that you're going to build your own house, not knowing how to read blueprints or know what questions to ask contractors and trying to find a good contractor out of the thousands that are out there. You there? I'm here. Yeah. So so we're having So the issue is, I think, um, uh, either the, 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 the Internet is. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. So 
and and so basically what I was saying is that um, it's it's almost like trying to build your own house where um, you've never looked at blueprints before, you've never um, talked to contractors before, you're trying to build your own house and you're trying to find the right contractor out of the thousands that are out there without getting in trouble or getting burned or getting um, in bed with somebody that might not be the, the best person to be with. Um, there's a lot of home care companies out there, so you're trying to provide the education to make sure people can make an intelligent decision on what's best for them. That's right, Ryan. I mean, there are, you know, ways, in fact, to um, screen and um, search for good home care that we try to promote at the Home Care Alliance of Massachusetts. The first thing we always say is work through an agency, and we can talk a little bit more about what that means. Some people think all home care is the same, whether you hire someone off of Craigslist or you hire someone who's coming into your home through an agency like yours, and they're night and day. The fact of the matter is that agencies, um, there are some state laws that require all agencies to do things like criminal background checks. Um, Agencies uh, benefit their workers, provide things like workers' compensation, um, Medicare, Social Security benefits, the underground market workers don't have, and agencies train their workers. Uh, You are right, there's no state law that establishes what that training should look like. But at the Home Care Alliance, we have put out through our accreditation standards what we believe are the minimum trainings for home care workers. So families looking for home care can start there. Work with an agency, go to the Home Care Alliance's website, look for an accredited home care agency, and also on our website are some of the questions that we can talk more about, about what to ask your home care agency when you are interviewing them. And we highly encourage that people do interview several agencies before making a decision. So they shouldn't just come to Minute Women and just just pick us every single time. They should interview as many people as they can, right? <laughs> well, I think that they um, should. I mean, if they if they if they're working with you, I'm assured that they'll they'll have a great experience. But there are questions that you need to ask because not all home care agencies um, have. Um, all of the services, just simply what is the range of services that your agency would provide and how does that compare to the range of services that you think your loved one needs? Um, are there cultural language issues that you need to have addressed and does that home care agency, um, uh, is that home care agency able to meet them? What is the home care agency's plan for um, an emergency or uh, backup care should the worker not be able to come? And could the agency provide references? Is there someone you can allow me to talk to who has had your services or has referred someone to your services that I could actually talk to? Any good home care agency should be able to answer those questions. Absolutely. And of course, I'm just joking around. I expect that when somebody calls us up that they're going to um, talk with a couple different agencies if they haven't already, or in some cases, they've talked to um, some different referral partners and saying, hey, you know, uh, who do you know out there that's good? And if one or two or three say, hey, Minute Women's the person, they might not look at anybody else, but they're at least doing the due diligence of going out and trying to research what is out there. And if they talk to one agency, that's okay, but we've always recommended, hey, talk to two or three or talk to four or five because since there isn't, and again, this is more of my opinion, since there isn't much regulation in Massachusetts, there can be very wide ranges of the standards of the different home care companies that are out there. Um, and additionally, uh, a lot of us are almost regulated now because of insurance, right? What is our insurance allowing us to do and not allowing us to do? So some people might get some insurance that allows them to do – 
a little bit more medical stuff than other insurances that that people have. So there's going to be a range of services that you can get with different agencies. So it's always good to talk to them about that. So and I, it, and I it's true. And I, when I said, look at what um, your your loved one needs, are they just looking for um, companionship and meal preparation? Or are they looking for more hands-on care, help with bathing and dressing, help with reminders around medication? Um, is the person um, suffering from dementia? So you might want to be sure to talk to the agency that they have workers who are sensitive um, to working with someone who you can be difficult sometimes. So you really need to sort of look at your needs and speak to the agency about them um, and be feel sure that they can meet them, even to the point where you may want to ask to meet the aid that is going to be taking care of your loved one. Sometimes we know that's not possible. In this today's society, sometimes someone is a thousand miles away trying to find a caregiver for a mother or father or grandmother or grandfather. Um, but it's not to say that they can't do that same dil- due diligence over the phone um, and feel secure in their choice. I think the biggest issue with home care um, is trust. Whoever is purchasing the service has to trust that the agency um, is reputable, is going to be there on time, is going to treat their loved one with respect, with care. Um, and we see that happens all the time. And we need to keep assuring our families and our customers that we can provide that. Absolutely. And, and it's always good to meet the caregivers if you can. And we try to do that every single time that we can. But as you know, and you're alluding to, sometimes you get that call at three o'clock on a Friday that somebody's discharging and they're coming home at seven and they need around the clock care. Well, unfortunately, that protocol goes out the window because we don't really have that time anymore. Um, you need days to be able to set up the interviews and have people come out and things like that. And sometimes it's just not possible. But whenever it is, it's always a good thing to meet with the caregivers. But that kind of leads us, you know, we're talking about finding finding the right home care agency. And one of the things, and there's no there's no perfect solution to very few things in this world, but one of the things that you all do is you have an accreditation standards um, for your, so you have basically, and correct me if I'm wrong, two types of members. You have members of the Home Care Alliance of Massachusetts, and then you have accredited members that are home care companies as well. Um, and if I'm wrong there, please correct me. But can you talk about what that accreditation is, why it was developed, and and what you're hoping to accomplish th- with that? Let me step back and just clarify a little bit what our membership looks sure. like. We have members who are um, what in the um, industry uh, language are called certified home health agencies. Those are agencies that primarily build the federal Medicare program for very skilled care. If you come home after a stroke or you need short-term care after you've had a hip or a knee replacement, they have federal certification. They're pro- primarily providing skilled care for a short-time intermittent basis. And those agencies are all certified by the State Department of Public Health. And then we have private home care agencies that um, a family would choose to contract privately to provide the type of services that tend to be less skilled. Um, They can involve some help with medications and things, but they tend to be um, bathing, dressing, meal prep, um, those types of things. And those agencies, as you've alluded to, Ryan, are not licensed in Massachusetts. The Home Care Alliance has created a voluntary accreditation program for those agencies that establishes certain sets of standards around policies, practices, training, background checks. 
we have approximately 50 home care agencies in Massachusetts that are now accredited, but that is probably less than, um, certainly less than 30, 40% of the agencies that might be out there. So our accreditation program does set a set of standards that we think anyone providing this work should adhere to. Not all agencies have chosen to be accredited, but those standards are on our website, thinkhomecare.org, and any family member can both look at what the standards are that we think the industry should meet, and they can also find an agency that has been um, deemed to have met those standards. Yeah, absolutely. And that was and that was something that we joined. And actually, my aunt pushed me to do that. Um, and the overall, my aunt owned, she just recently sold it, um, a company that did uh, Medicaid for pediatrics. And uh, and they did a little private home care in the past. But at the end of the day, they, their focus was on the Medicaid side. But she suggested I do it because she thought it was good for not only business, but it's good to because at some point in time down the road, there's going to be a regulation of home care. It's a it's a matter of, of if not not when, in my my opinion. And I think that people are going to look at your accreditation as a possible guidelines or a starting point, or maybe the start and the finish of what you need to do to be a home care company, a private home care company in Massachusetts. And I thought it was good to get a, a one, I want to be a good company. And two, I think it's good to be ahead a of the, the game versus being one of thousands that would try to get their accreditation at some point in time, because it is important to have some set standards that aren't, um, that aren't ridiculous and none of the standards are ridiculous or or hard to achieve or cumbersome or, or whatever word you want to use, but that let people know that you're trying to do the right thing. You're setting up your company to provide good care and to be customer focused rather than money focused or trying to just uh, get as many people in and out to get your hours up as quickly as possible. Um, how have you found, how long has the accreditation been going on and how have you found that it's been working out for um, the different individuals that have joined? Um, I think we've had the accreditation program for um, uh, a little over six, eight years now. Um, and I do think it's important because we've seen a proliferation of people trying to enter the market in Massachusetts. And sometimes they go um, to state websites and they are shocked to find that there is no state licensure. So they can come to the Home Care Alliance and at least see what we expect in our state as a minimum. So I think it's been very important to sort of lay down the gauntlet of what we think is a minimum of what a good company should do. Um, I quite frankly wish more companies would get accredited. I'm not saying some don't meet the standards. They haven't come to us. But I do think, um, as you said, I think it's important to say to consumers that we believe there's a minimum standard um, and that we meet it. And we have come to the same position you have, Ryan. Um, we have asked the Massachusetts legislature in the last two sessions to take our standards and put them into a licensing law which would mean that any person putting themselves out there as an elder home care provider or home care provider would have to meet these standards. It did not pass in the last session, but we will be refiling it in January, and we welcome um, the industry's support in, in getting that passed. Now, if it's if it's now when Pat and I talked about this, we, we said we were going to just go back and forth and we understand there's some things you might not be able to go into as deeply and some things that that you can. Is there is it something you can talk about or give us an overview on 
why you think it's not getting passed in the legislature? What is what is holding that up? Or is that something that at this point in time uh, we shouldn't go into? No, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm sort of mystified, you know, why it hasn't moved in in the legislature. Um, I do think that, um, you know, there are some folks, including some folks in our industry, who have a knee-jerk negative reaction to regulation. So there has been some opposition, not very vocal, to any more regulation of this industry, somehow feeling regulation equates to sort of stifling creativity. We don't see it that way. Um, sometimes I think it's just hard to get the attention of the lawmakers sort of thinking if it's not broke, we don't have to fix it. So um, the bill has not sort of bubbled up to get the level of attention that we think, think it may. Um, now, we recently had the Boston Globe run a story, which was um, quite sensational and we think a little inaccurate, but maybe in some perverse way, um, their depiction of the industry might cause some of our policymakers to take a second look at, at our bill when we refile it um, in December. Yeah, and, and that's certainly obviously a segue. Um, that's that's kind of a, a good segue into the Boston Globe. Do you do you see that that Globe article? I mean, granted, it's only been out for a little over a week, and as we know, the government does not move as quickly as uh, generally private industries can move and things like that. But uh, and with your ear on the streets and being in the position that you're in, do you see that Boston Globe article as as a uh, something that's caused a stir caused Maybe those legislation um, to maybe get moving, maybe put some WD forty on the, uh, <laughs> the, the 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 gears to get them working a little bit more, or or do you, are you hearing that maybe it's it's not making the impact that maybe people thought it was going to make? Um, I, I think I think it it has caught people's attention. It was certainly covered in the places that um, lawmakers look, news state house news service, and, and places that lawmakers you know tend to look for news. Um, I do think the article was a double-edged sword. It may have caught the attention of um, lawmakers, and we had some calls from folks about it. But it also, I think, in a negative way, um, scared some of our clients or scared families in a in a way that I think was both needless um, and somewhat unsubstantiated on some of the, the, the claims that were made. So the, I think the article was a, a true double-edged sword. Um, we already have issues, um, you know, of folks who are struggling to care for a loved one and trying to be a caregiver and balance work, family, um, and thinking, geez, could I turn to someone outside? And they read an article like that, and I and I fear it it influences the decision not to go seek help when, in fact, it would probably be in the best interest of their health and their loved one's health to maybe bring someone in. Yeah, it, it, the article certainly was a, a bit of a reminder kind of of the stigma of nursing uh, nursing homes, you know, that stigma of like, that's where you go to die or that's where you go to get locked away so that nobody can uh, ever see you again and, you know, out of sight, out of mind, you know, that kind of stigma of, well, if you get a home care provider in your home, a caregiver, the likelihood that you're going to be taken advantage of and stolen from and drugs used in your house, oh my God, you're, it's almost a mm -hmm. guarantee when, you know, the same thing with a nursing home, that's more of the, the, the 1% of situations that occur and then the 99% of situations is there's a overall positive outcome of things. Um, yeah, yeah, not to like throw numbers onto the podcast, but we had to do a few. And I mean, of course, you know, like your agency, you know, the Home Care Alliance has, you know, a zero tolerance policy when it comes to any sort of patient abuse, be it financial or physical, zero tolerance. 
but I think the Globe sensationalized a few cases in their own numbers. Um, if you read carefully, they said they were able to find 20 cases of agency hired workers that committed some sort of fiscal or physical impropriety over the past recent three to five years. Now, to put that in context, over the past five years, um, our industry has employed more than 75,000 home health aides or homemakers, and we've been in more than 600,000 homes, and that might be an underestimate. So you're talking 20 cases, um, over 600,000 homes, 75,000 workers. Again, zero tolerance. But I think for families who are looking for some sort of reassurance that um, the likelihood of that happening to them is very, very small. Yeah, and absolutely. And listen, I mean, if you're being honest, that obviously those 20 cases, there's probably some underreporting there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's it's you know it, you you know that there are a lot of people that have people people in their homes, and there are a lot of people just like you said underreporting about being in somebody's home. There is a huge industry in Massachusetts of what I call the private privates, which is hiring a private aid privately under the table, um, and and there's no way to really know how many private privates are out there. Just as the you know as the article talks about, there's no way to know how many uh, cases of fraud there are if because if they're underreported. But the idea. Is, is that the amount of fraud that's going on or the amount of abuse that's going on is a far smaller uh, fraction of a number or a small, probably single-digit number compared to the overall um, health that we're providing people, or the help, excuse me, that we're providing people. It's a no-brainer that there's a lot more positive aspects to what we do in our industry than negative aspects. Um, but, you know, there's always those, you know, as they say, the, 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 the bad apple spoils the bunch. And this is obviously an article. Um, on uh, a few of those bad apples or a number of those bad apples. And, um, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's like you said, it's a double-edged sword. It's good that information's out there. It's good. It's being talked about, but you know, what are we going to do to fix that? And part of that is coming up with some uh, common sense, you know, legislation through the accreditation of the HCA or some type of um, guidelines to make sure that we're holding ourselves accountable as an industry to do the right thing for the clients that we're caring for. That's right. That's right. Anything we can do to strengthen that, um, the Home Care Alliance is behind. Um, But I also think that, you know, there's a perception that um, somehow going to the underground market um, is more economical. In some cases, you can save a little bit of money, but in the long run, on the level of trust and exposure that going to the underground market, you know, we feel really strongly is not worth what the savings to um, the, the client may be. It's simply not worth the risk. And I also think when, you know, people turn to the underground market, um, they're putting their own, you know, families are, uh, and the workers at risk because those workers do not have the basic benefits that I alluded to before if you go into the underground market, that worker has no workers' compensation insurance should she or he be injured in your home. Uh, she doesn't have an employer who's paying into Medicare and Social Security for her so that when she retires, she will actually be able to have benefits. So when people turn to the underground market, they really need to think about the consequences, the risk and the other consequences to Absolutely. the workers. Now, another thing to change the subject a little bit, because there's something I would like to talk about and give you kind of some props on and some promotion on is um, you have your own podcast as well. 
uh, and and you're you're doing a podcast more talking with some of the businesses in the area. What what is the goal of that podcast? Well, what are, what kind of thoughts do you have about it? And and can you speak a little bit more about that podcast? Well, we, we've started podcasting, you know, six or eight months ago. Um, the Home Care Alliance under the podcast Talking Home Care. Um, similar to your um, podcast, this podcast, Ryan, you know, we're sort of covering the gamut of, you know, what the home care industry does. We talk a little bit more in our podcast to the industry directly um, about things like um, end of life care and what that looks like, palliative care, um, cre- creating new types of programs and what regulations um, um, govern those or how um, you can be a better employer. Right now, one of the biggest issues in our industry is workforce. Um, I hear more and more people say, I have more need than I have workers who can fill. We just recently did a podcast um, on um, strategies to retain your workers. And interestingly enough, the guest on that podcast told me that he didn't feel we had a recruitment problem in this industry. He said we felt we had a retention problem, that we were having workers come in, and for whatever reason, they were turning over too quickly. So we sort of cover um, you know, some of the industry operational issues that challenge um, the uh, companies who do this work and trying to help them again as a trade association find solutions to some of the issues that they are facing and trying to put workers in people's Absolutely. homes. And that's, that's a, that's a, it's a good podcast to, to find out information about this industry, to educate yourself on some of the challenges and some of the positives and some of the things that are going on so that, um, you know, when the time comes, uh, you have as much information as possible. And, you know, one of the beauties of podcasts is when you're running or whether you're grocery shopping or you're driving in your car, you can listen to these things. And many podcasts aren't those, you know, we were, we were joking off air. This isn't a three hour podcast like Joe Rogan has, or some of these political kind of pundits have that they, they do a deep dive interview on somebody. Most of these podcasts are 20 minutes to 40 minutes long. So if you're in the car all day, you have the opportunity to listen to dozens of podcasts to per day on different subjects within an, an industry, within a niche. And you can really inform yourself quite well uh, within a week or two of listening to different voices and podcasts and information on what to expect when you get to the crossroads of, do I need home care? Do I need assisted living? Do I need a nursing home? Or do I take the challenge on myself trying to provide care to a parent or a loved one? Um, so I would highly recommend people to go look at and not look, listen to the podcast and get a more, more information than even the caregiver's toolbox can provide because we're kind of one section of an industry that has many different, um, you know, many different um, parts to it. So I think it's a good thing to always put out those podcasts and try to, to educate people. Now, um, one thing you did mention was you talked about the workforce challenges. Um, as far as the, what the, what you believe in the HCA believes with the workforce challenge, where we have more people that are needing care than we have people to provide What do you think some solutions are um, to that moving forward in the future now that we have like companies like Amazon that might be moving in and a lot of these other retail and fast food industries that are looking for good, talented workers? There's a lot of people that are trying to get um, uh, uh, employees um, and there aren't enough employees to go around for everybody. What do you think some of the solutions are, if any, for that? Well, well, the solutions, you know, you know, we can't 
colonial workers and we have a very low unemployment um, rate in, in, in Massachusetts. So we are challenged. But I see, um, you know, again, the, the flip side to, you know, um, the difficulty in retaining workers is for the need for the employers to be truly good employers to their workers. Um, and we see things like um, workers who will um, assist families or a potential caregiver with understanding English, teaching them English as a second language, or making accommodations for them around hours if they have child um, caregiving responsibilities. We're also starting to think about looking at um, the home care workers, not just um, in people of a sort of a younger demographic, but looking at folks who are returning to the workforce or out of the workforce, maybe women in their 50s. Um, two of our home care aides of the year last year were both women um, who had basically been caring for a loved one for many years, had left the workforce to care for a mother or a grandmother, suddenly felt they had an affinity for this work and went and turned around and went and found a job as a home care aide. So looking at different populations, being assured that we're cognizant of our workers' needs. Um, we've seen a home care agency in New York City that has now set up kind of a um, a, a care center for their workforce where they can go in, um, maybe have a massage, maybe take a class in something like financial security, things that these these workers don't understand, how to get a mortgage, how to – so finding new ways to say to our workers, we value what you do, we know it's difficult work, um, and we're going to find ways to make you see that we value. I think we're going to see a lot of creativity Absolutely, in that because area. One of the, and one of the things that the Boston Globe article brought up was they did a kind of a human interest piece human interest piece on what a caregiver, and they used an example from Owen Worcester, um, a woman from Ghana. And one of the difficulties that you have, and, I, and you, when I spoke with you at one point in time, you had a good word, a word or phrase for this. And if you can remember it, I, I'd love it because I'll write it down and I'll, I'll use it when I speak about it. But there's that, that fine tipping point that, of course, everybody deserves to get paid more money. That's a good thing, right? And as caregivers get paid more money, which they are over the, the course of the next few years through minimum wage increases and also, you know, simple supply and demand, the more the, the, the number one thing people are looking for is, is more money. But that also has one negative effect where that causes the rates to go up for home care. And it also causes more and more people to not be able to uh, to afford the care that um, now costs, you know, X amount of dollars more than it did a few years ago because of those those increases in costs. Um you know, that's going to be an interesting thing. We don't have to deep dive into it on how those challenges going to be with a ever a difficulty finding a workforce while those rates go up and the difficulty of people being able to afford the care that they. Yeah, yes, Ryan, I, I think I think it's absolutely true that we have to be, you know, very cognizant of not pricing our services too high for the um, clients to be able to afford us. But I also think I want to speak to what I think is the myth that privately paid home care is somehow a service only available to the very wealthy. And that's just not the case. Um, home care services can be available to you whether you need one or two hours every morning to get someone out of bed and get their meds. Some people are able to afford round-the-clock care. But I think the idea that somehow the way the price point are now is that it's unaffordable except to the very wealthiest is a myth that we need to counter. Um, I think also, yes, everybody, we do want to pay our workers more and we're always in a balancing act. But as I said there, I think there are strategies that we're beginning to look at as an industry for how to 
um, respect value. Now, respect and value don't pay the workers' bills, but things like flexible schedules and allowing them to um, have time off to meet a child after school so that they don't have to pay for extra daycare, I think those are things that we can do and we have to do to stay viable. And, you know, there's also the, the, the point to be made that, you know, the, the caregivers do get into this industry knowing it's per diem work, um, knowing that it's not 40 hours a week guaranteed every single um, week. And one of the benefits of that is that they can go to different agencies and work for a few different agencies and they can get um, those flexible hours to um, piecemeal sometimes well over 40 hours a week so they can work more. While there are certainly plenty of places, and I know many assisted livings that I go into are always looking for great caregivers, that if you're just looking for the, the 40 hours a week with benefits and things like that, there are those areas that people can go to find those types of jobs as well. Um, it's not always a perfect choice, but um, there are different avenues to go when you're looking at being a caregiver. I'm glad you mentioned assisted living, and I'm sure you've you've talked about this in your podcast before. It's a great um, option for a lot of families um, who want to get a loved one out of a house that you know maybe too big for them or not working for them. But I also think there sometimes are folks, and I've heard this so many times. Um, I moved mom into assisted living, and I found out there wasn't the assistance that I needed, and now I need to bring it in on a, on a private pay basis. So I really encourage uh, folks when they're looking at. Um, um, what the plan is for a loved one who may be mentally or physically failing and looking at the options to price bringing in home care versus, you know, moving to assisted living. And again, sometimes the assisted living is necessary because the house simply doesn't work anymore. It's too big. It's too much upkeep. But sometimes folks make that move because they think, oh, I'll have everything covered now. Um, and they find that not to be true in a lot of cases. So, you know, consumers do your homework. Yeah, Excuse me. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and certainly the other thing is, is that um, assisted livings and private agencies do two totally different things. You know, assisted livings are there as a community of like minded, like aged people that are living together, that are going to be active together. And it's meant to get people, um, you know, up out of their seats, doing different things, while private home care is allowing somebody to age in their home where they want to be. Um, I can't provide the activity level that an assisted living can provide. And an assisted living can't provide the one-on-one care that uh, private agency can provide. So your point is absolutely valid that before you, you know, you put down the de- that deposit of, of $5,000 a month or whatever it costs in Massachusetts, $6,000 a month, know what you're going to be getting for those services. And that goes the same thing with private agencies as well. You got to know what you're getting involved with before you sign on the dotted line and make that decision. Absolutely. Well said, so, yep. you know, Pat, is there anything else? I, I know that you have the New England Home Care Conference um, coming up as well. I don't know if that's something you want to talk about, but is there anything else before we kind of wrap this up that you wanted to speak about or things that the Home Care Alliance is doing that uh, you wanted to kind of put a little emphasis on or promote to let people know about that are listening to this podcast? Sure. Um, one of the things, if there are any home care agencies um, listening to this podcast who don't belong to the Home Care Alliance, um, I'll give my email address um, if you want to check in with us and we can talk um, directly about why I think you could belong. I think we do a tremendous amount of advocacy for the industry on issues that they face as employers, um, insurance assessments, paid sick time, some things that um, are, are 
are really crucial to uh, employer in this business. We have lots of events um, and trainings that I believe are extremely helpful to someone, particularly if you're new in this industry. Um, on November 1st, we'll have a joint private care human resources conference at Holy Cross in Worcester. Um, and we will address a lot of the issues that private care agencies need to know around labor laws in Massachusetts. What does it mean? What are your obligations if you're putting someone um, to live into a home? Um, do you have to pay someone when they're traveling between jobs? What are the overtime rules in Massachusetts? They're very, very complicated, and agencies who don't understand those rules can get in trouble very quickly. That's November 1st um, at Holy Cross in Worcester, and you can find the details of that on our website, thinkhomecare.org. So thank no you, problem. Ryan, for I think, By the way, that. I don't know who decided thinkhomecare.org would be a good URL, but it's an outstanding URL because it's it would be such a pain for to remember the H-C-A-O-M or, or, or to type out Home Care Alliance of Massachusetts. I just, one little thing that I've always noticed is like thinkhomecare.com. That makes sense and is easy to remember for me. So whoever made that decision, kudos to you because that was a, a good one on making sure that the URL was easy to remember. So, <laughs> well, so thank you. All right, One contribution well, Pat, I made. You know, hey, listen, um, it was a smart idea because, you know, I used to have a URL that was minutewomeninc.com, and then you put my, my name in it, rmckenneth <laughs> at minutewomeninc.com. It would take 15 minutes for me to explain to somebody what, what my email address <laughs> was. So we switched it to Ryan at mwhomecare.com, and then all of a sudden, you know, people get it in two seconds because we shortened the URL and made it easy to remember. So it does make a difference. But <laughs> but anyways, Pat, thank you very much for having me on here. Uh, having, thank you very much for being on my podcast. Um, I do appreciate it. It is always good to hear from, um, you know, those those higher level people that are in our industry on what's going on, what the, the thoughts are on the challenges that not only consumers have, but also what, um, you know, the, the agencies have, because there's two sides that, that need to come together to provide good care. And there's two, there's multiple people involved in this and we're all trying to do the right thing here. So I think it's great to hear from you and, uh, you know, maybe uh, in the future uh, we can have you on again when maybe some other issues come up and we can uh, chat about it like we did today. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, and keep doing the good work to Absolutely. get the word well, thank out you there, and Ryan. Have a great day. Thank you, Ryan. Bye-bye.